Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from the tech and business world and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today, we have Megan Quinn, the COO of Niantic, though she's done a lot of other super impressive, very interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her about. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Alexis, thank you so much for having me. I have to tell you, this was the fastest yes I've ever said to a podcast <laughs> uh, invite. All You had me with, we're not going to talk about your work at all. So I'm yes. so excited to be here. Congratulations on the new podcast. Thank you so much. It's truly an honor to have you. And I can't wait to not ask you about work. I can't wait to not talk about work. <laughs> Great. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by WorkLife, the first venture capital firm designed for a new era where work is more creative and anyone can start something, where life is more flexible and not tied to an office, where everyone is a triple threat. Discover the latest tools to design, animate, and ship your own video game or get paid for playing video games. Really, WorkLife has backed companies for you to play directly with fans, coach future gamers, and drop your own custom merch store. Sign up for the WorkLife newsletter for interviews with creators and updates on new tools for your work life at worklife.vc. Before we dive in, I'm going to just give a quick overview of your fabulous career to date for our listeners. Megan Quinn is the Chief Operating Officer of Niantic, where she oversees business operations and international development across the company. Prior to joining Niantic in 2020, Megan was a general partner at Spark Capital, where she focused on growth stage investments, including Glossier, which I'm wearing right now for the record, Handshake, Pendo, Rover, Envision, and Niantic. She started her investing career at Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield & Byers, where she invested in a number of early and later stage companies, including Slack and Uber. Earlier in her career, Megan was the head of product at Square, where she led strategy and development of the company's products across merchant and consumer audiences. She spent nearly a decade at Google in various positions across marketing, business development, and product management, where she focused on building Google Maps. Megan holds a degree in political science and history from Stanford University and lives in San Francisco with her husband. Holy cow, that is a very long bio. It makes me sound like I'm 100 years old at least. (laughs) I think it makes you sound very, very accomplished, personally. Where she lives in San Francisco with her husband and her walker. (laughs) Where she's lived for 75 years. That's amazing. Well, speaking of living with your your husband and definitely not your walker, first question for you is work is done for the day and you close your computer, then what? This is where all my bad habits are going to be exposed, which is to say <laughs> that I don't actually believe in work being done for the day and closing my computer and logging off. I'm not very good at work-life balance. I have a whole view on sort of work-life meshing integration. So I will be in and out of my email and slacks and so forth for much of the evening. However, in the spirit of the question, I will usually be cooking dinner for my husband Mm -hmm. and my daughter, watching some very basic television, sometimes reading, but really kind of a traditional cozy night in like the 364 other evenings of this year in 2020. So what kind of stuff do you like to cook? Are you a big into cooking person? Are you a necessity because I have to eat cooking person? I love to cook. I find it to be one of these things that is incredibly satisfying and not that difficult. In fact, it always surprises me when people say, oh, I'm not a good cook. Because to me, it's like saying, well, I don't know how to read. 
Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> okay, I, Megan, I will cook for you sometime and then you will understand the definition of what it means when someone says I'm not a good cook. It's impossible. It's literally a list of in the order of 10 to 12 bullet points. And so if you can read and follow basic instructions, I really believe anyone can be a good cook. Sometimes I think people interpret that as, oh, I can just close my eyes and whip up some amazing recipe and I don't need any measuring spoons or cups or any of that. Yeah. I'm not that kind of cook. To be clear, that's a okay. chef. That's a chef. Yes. <laughs> that's an artist. <laughs> exactly. I am a solid line cook in the kitchen, uh, follow a good recipe, and I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun for me. And I also do a fair amount of baking, particularly Ooh. with my toddler. Okay. All right. So my first thought there is I totally agree that if you can read, you can cook. What happens with me is that I, I'm i like over it immediately. Usually at the end of the day, I've spent all day really focused, focusing on stuff, doing things. Then by the end of the day, I'm like, oh my God, finally chop. Why? It's too much for me. <laughs> it's the emotional component. To be fair, everyone has those nights. It's not like I don't have you know, Postmates on my phone. Like I do. Uh, And I love a good takeout burrito. However, you know, for me, it's at the end of the day, I put in my headphones, I listen to a podcast, I let my husband think I'm listening to him talk about his day. (laughs) And, um, you know, you can take out a fair amount of aggression on those finely chopped onions or what have you. That is a great point. You said that you also like baking and with your toddler, that is so sweet. And messy. And messy. I was going to say, is she helpful or is it more of a like, oh, good job. And then everything is kind of on the floor. It's one of those things that's like a a Martha Stewart magazine, you know, where Mm. it's kind of like, oh, that looks like fun. You know, my toddler and I will bake in the kitchen together and it'll be so (laughs) awesome and we'll organize it. And then you kind of get, you know, halfway into it with a glue gun and your fingers are sticking together and you've run out of like whatever the core crafting piece is. It ends up looking like that. But you know, you still end up with cookies. Like who doesn't want cookies at the end of the day? That's an amazing point. I don't, I would never turn down a cookie ever under any circumstances. Personally, I actually do like baking. Makes a lot more sense to me. What do you bake? What's your go-to recipe? A go-to recipe implies that I've made things a number of times. So instead, I'll tell you my favorite thing I ever baked, which was scones, because I love scones. Delicious. I'm on board. Thank God. There are people that don't like scones. They've been on this podcast. Really? Yeah. Oh, because they, they feel like it's like hardened bread or, you know, like stale muffins. I think elicited a reaction of just as far as ranking pastries goes, bottom of the list. But I put scones right at the top. I think scones are delicious. I'm right with you. I am. Megan, thank you for joining me on this. I really I appreciate that. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask you about? You mentioned uh, burritos. Do you have a burrito go to place in SF? That's very controversial topic. I know. <laughs> this is non-technical the Lexus gay. We're getting into it. <laughs> I was about to say, I thought we weren't talking about, you know, hardcore topics that, you know, would get some people riled up. It was a bait and switch. This is the gotcha moment. It's one of those things where I don't believe that there is such thing as a bad burrito. And I know I'm, I'm going to hear about this and you're going to mm-hmm. hear about this. But for the mm-hmm. most part, like uh, pizza and that other thing people sometimes refer to. Like there's no such thing as a bad burrito. Um, So no, I don't have one place. I'm not religious about where the burritos necessarily come from, but I am a frequent order. I can totally get behind this. I don't think I've ever had a bad burrito either, but I will say that I have had bad pizza, but a burrito, no. So good. Delicious. One of the things you said that I really wanted to follow up on was, 
basic television. You said basic television earlier. What is that? <laughs> what is that to you? I feel like people are, you know, watching so many different esoteric things these days because we basically have an infinite menu of content available to us through various streaming services. And in my case, you know, whenever someone's like, oh, what are you really into these days? I don't have anything good to tell them. I'm like, okay. yeah, I'm watching The Mandalorian. I'm watching Big Little Lies. Like I'm watching, you know, just straight down the fairway, basic television. I think that's great. I applaud you for that. And also, I feel a lot of pressure when people ask me that question. What are you watching? I'm like, uh, Emily in Paris. I don't know what, what it was just on. Like, I don't have a fancy answer. Exactly. That's why I say it's, it's basic. It's, you know, it's all the same stuff. Did you have any shows that you watched in the last few months that were either highly overhyped or highly underrated? So let's talk about Emily in Paris. Frankly, I'd love to. We could make this the Emily in Paris podcast. <laughs> And just like that, everybody logs off. Yeah, and bye. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's give it a, a breather, though. I mean, okay, yeah, it got a lot of flack online. People mm -hmm. thought it was terrible. People thought yeah. she was terrible. It was trite. It was had no depth. You know, it was such an overly produced mm -hmm. view of what it's like to be an expat in Paris, and so on and so forth. And I say it absolutely was, and that's why it was great. Hell yeah. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Yes to basically everything that you just said and loved every second. Really enjoyed it. 100%. Like the the extremely good looking French chef that probably doesn't oh exist. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. I messaged my friend in, who actually does live in Paris, who is an American living in Paris. And I said, oh yeah, I've been thinking of you. I'm watching Emily in Paris. And she was like, just so you know, Alexis, that is not what my life is like. Hot men do not come and talk to me all the time. And I was just like, okay, but let me have this. <laughs> and, and, and for anybody who's actually spent any time abroad, you know, even for a longer period of time as a true expat, there's a lot of hassles and a lot of work that goes into yeah. that. My mother is an expat. She's lived outside of the United States now for almost two decades. And there's a lot of work that comes along with that, that glorious view that you have. So I'm glad that we cut right to the chase of this fantasy life in Paris. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that you feel the same way. Speaking of being an expat, have you ever been known as the something person? Could be high school, could be at work. Like, I'm pretty sure in high school, I was known as like the drama girl. I'm doing air quotes. I have always been known, at least, you know, less so as a child, more so as a, as a teen and adult, as the map collector which Ooh. if you're seeing the video, you can see behind me um, yeah. and is only a very small fraction of the maps I collect. And it's become a little bit of my calling card. I've always liked maps. We won't talk about my professional work, but a lot of that work has centered around maps and map making. Mm. And uh, I would say that that's probably the most unique thing that I'm known for, certainly as an adult. That is so cool. Do you know what the first map was you ever acquired? The first map I ever acquired was probably something incredibly uninteresting. My guess, and I'm, I'm looking off into the distance wistfully as people do when they're trying to think back through the <laughs> annals of their life. My guess is that it was actually a map purchase from Etsy, which is where I originally started collecting maps. And just to be clear, when I say collecting, that implies fancy. And some of these are, are nice, but most are definitely not fancy. And I've made a lot of good purchases on Etsy from textbooks 
from different countries in different periods of times. So taking like a, a, a French textbook from the 1940s, what map did they display of Africa at that time? Do you have any maps of places that don't exist? For example, from a fantasy book? I don't. However, there's a map that's actually over my shoulder that is of Captain Cook's journeys. And it's very, very old. Um, it's oh, probably sweet. one of my favorite and also probably, you know, the first thing I'm going to take with me if the house catches on fire and I'll see my husband later. Yeah. But it does have at least areas where they believe that there were dragons. And so the there be dragons pieces shows up in many different places on the maps because it was actually used for navigating ships at the time. Oh my God. Were they trying to warn people to be like, don't go here. There might be dragons. hundred percent. You know, they were explorers. They were traveling the world and they believed that there were places that were haunted or where their dragons existed. And so they marked those on maps. That's incredible. Have you yourself ever drawn a map? Have I ever drawn a map? But yeah, I'm known to draw a map or two every now and then, you know, like I can, I can draw you a little map from, you know, here to the local market. If you, if you're really pressed. Sure. Sure. Nothing more fancy than that. A lot of my work, as I mentioned, though, has centered on drawing maps, so to speak with technology though. That's really cool. This is actually a gorgeous segue because we're talking about maps. I'm going to go here. Maps, topography, hills. What's the tiniest hill? you're willing to die on? Peanut butter is disgusting. <gasps> Megan, I, I, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. How can anyone enjoy something where you choose if you want the chunky or the smooth version? That's just disgusting. I, I, and I will go so f as far as to say that anything <laughs> that peanut butter touches is disgusting. It ruins a cookie. It ruins a brownie. It ruins a cake. It ruins a sandwich. It ruins anything. I'm having a moment. <laughs> we are like so early in and it is just so controversial left and right. Like the controversies keep coming. Are you allergic to peanut butter before I say anything else? No, this is no, 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 okay. please. Okay. All right. This is an amazing revelation because I don't think I know anyone else that feels this way. So has this always your whole life? Yes. No peanut butter for you? No peanut butter. Even as a kid? Even as a kid. I was like never a peanut butter sandwich kid. Yep. I just find it absolutely revolting. And is also the taste or just the texture, like Reese's Pieces? Oh, no. Oh, what? Reese's Pieces? Why did you, like, ruin a perfectly good chocolate bar? Oh, my God. Wow, 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 wow. Inferior M&Ms? <sighs> I mean, the implications of this are far-reaching, right? Because, okay, so no PB&Js for you, no peanut butter and chocolate combo. Disgusting. Why would we ruin okay. chocolate that way? What about other nut butters, which are very popular these days, like almond butter? I confess I haven't actually tried it because it's too peanut butter adjacent mm -hmm. for me. I get that. <laughs> if you have that strong of a feeling about peanut butter, almond butter is like probably not going to be the move. I like butter. I was going to say butter is great. You know what I had recently that was incredible? Granola butter. I don't really understand what I ate, but it was very delicious. It's just they took butter and they put granola in it and then you just eat it plain? It seemed more like it was at first granola and then it became butter. Wow. That yeah, is, so that is science in action right there. These are the big breaking scientific developments that I'm keyed into, but I love granola. I'm like a massive granola fan. This is something that I look forward to every day of my life. Morning cookies. Who doesn't love it? That's what I call them. Morning cookies. I know I have granola as like a dessert after lunch or after dinner. And I will talk about it. I'll be like, Oh, it's granola time. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, I've got a lot going on. So granola butter might be something that could be, if you were interested in getting into the butter world, that could be a nice entree. It's something to consider for sure. It's food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> we were really there on Emily in Paris, totally on the same page. And then now we're polar opposites. Polarization in America is a real problem on peanut butter. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. We'll see if we can get back together at some point. Come come back to the center at some point. Um, but, okay, interesting question for you. Have you ever been proven really, really wrong? Have you ever been just like very wrong about something? Not you, about peanut were, butter. I mean, clearly, I don't think anyone's going to change her. And honestly, I would never try to change your opinion because I respect that. I think that's a hard, bold stance and I applaud you for it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The conviction matters a lot these days. So. Absolutely. Other than peanut butter, is there anything you've ever been proven wrong on? I would like to think, you know, I've never really been wrong so much as not fully yet informed. Oh my God. I <laughs> love that. I would love to steal that from you. <laughs> I'm a big believer in keeping your mind open to new opportunities and new possibilities outside of peanut butter and, yes. you know, having conviction where you have it, but being open to other points of view. So I, I've been wrong about people, certainly, probably most famously, one of my very dearest girlfriends. She was my roommate in college. Mm -hmm. You know, freshman year, there was kind of an older guy on campus who kind of liked her, had an eye out for her. And they went on a couple of dates. And, you know, I just didn't like the vibe, you know, he was yeah. putting out. And I was like, you know, he's so sketchy. I remember <laughs> <laughs> I'm like aging myself because that was really the the adjective of the time was he's oh, no, so yeah, sketchy. 100%. Oh, they're really sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> and now they've been happily married for 12 years and have two darling wow. sons. <laughs> wow. All right, so you've you've been brought around on this gentleman. I incredibly wrong. It turns out he's like a wonderful husband, partner, father, you know, he, wow. he's he's terrific in every way. Carl Rinderkinick, if you're if you're out there listening, this is you <laughs> that you know I'm talking about. But um I, I that's one example of where I've been wrong on people for sure. That is fantastic. Uh is there anything that your family did when you were growing up that you thought at the time was totally normal and then in retrospect have since realized was actually very strange or very weird. Yes. And it's so wonderful that I'm going to recreate the lie for my own daughter, the toddler oh, I mentioned. Yes. Which is my mother had these holidays called Megan's Day. Oh. And it happened once a year. And I have a sister named Meredith. So there was also Meredith Day. And unlike what you would think, it wasn't our birthday. And it was a day, a holiday that popped up. You never knew when. It was just a random day that happened each year. And she would walk in the, our room in the morning with a like a basket full of gifts. And you would just open presents. And then you would get whatever you wanted for breakfast. And then she would have a whole itinerary for the day worked out. You know, we'd go see a movie. And then we would get, you know, a haircut, which actually, for some reason, was really fun and glamorous for me as yeah. a kid. <laughs> And then, you know, we might go to the zoo or we would go to a playground and in between each stop, she would go to her trunk and pull out another basket of presents. And it was oh, just this over the top, you know, child fantasy day of gifts and sweets and fun activities with your mom. 
And I just always remember thinking like, this is so awesome. You know, like we get two things, we get a birthday and we get Megan's day or Meredith's day or whatnot. And it took me a fair amount of time and probably some pressure from other parents to my my mother to discover that in fact, this is not a common thing and that not every child in the world just magically gets a day that is, you know, named in their honor. It's not on anyone else's calendars except my mother's. (laughs) But I will say it was a lot of fun and something I'm excited to do for my daughter. That is creating magic. That is truly just creating magic for your kids. It was great. And I actually have never asked her what the motivation was for it. I should, because, you know, you would think as a mom who was big into the holidays already and birthdays and Christmas, and we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. And I mean, every single holiday, you know, she'd like to tap out a little bit every now and then and kind of lay it low. But she didn't. She went at it with a lot of fervor and it was always a lot of fun. There was at one point in my life, one Alexis day, actually. And it was apropos of nothing. And it wasn't a Jeff Bezos day. It was like your day. (laughs) It was, uh, it was my, it was an Alexis day. And my don't know why or where it came from. And it never happened again. Not that it needed to. These things can be very special just to be one. My dad just like made a sign and put it at the end of my bed and was like, happy Alexis day. And then we drove to the toy store and I got to buy these two huge stuffed salamanders that I had had my eye on for some reason. They had like beads in them. So they were squishy. I remember this vividly that I got both big ass salamanders. This is a completely unnecessary purchase. One would have been Over the top. extraneous, yeah. But I got both of them because it was Alexis Day. And again, Alexis Day came out apropos of nothing. Oh, if I had been you, I would have been like putting a timer on that day and 365 (laughs) days go by and like, hey, I think today's my day. Weird. I checked my calendar and it's actually Alexis Day. Happy Alexis Day. Anybody else? Wow. Maybe we should bring it back. Maybe I I should bring back Megan's Day. I think you should. I think that's a great idea. Yes, Well, I'll get my husband right on that. I was just going to say, maybe you could connect uh, your husband and your mom. Just set up a little one-on-one for them. About all the requirements. Yeah. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. It just sounds like your mom got it exactly right and he could just do exactly that. Uh, You know what? This sounds... I'm on board. Sounds great. (laughs) Is there a fad that you were very into and now look back on and feel a little cringy about. So that could be like a fashion fad, a workout fad, anything cultural. It totally comes back to fashion for me. And it's just, it has to be said that at one point in time, I wore tube tops. Yeah. Yeah. It That does have to be said. And I appreciate you for saying that. I have to own it. I had tube tops in every color of the rainbow mm-hmm. and the pastel versions of those colors and the fluorescent versions of those colors. And, you know, I wore them with pride and in retrospect, yeah. they're horrible. So no photos exist of that time. Wow. Okay. First of all, I see uh, your truth. I acknowledge it. I accept you for this. I think that's beautiful. I have a question about tube tops in general. Are they an anytime shirt? Is this something you could wear like to school on the weekend out like out in the world? Or was this a specific I wore tube tops to like X type of event? I couldn't wear them to school because I went to school where they definitely, you know, like measured your skirt length and like raise your hands above your head. And if you, you know all that. So not to school, but you know, it's like the second school was over and Friday night, we were going to hang out at the mall. The mall yeah. for people, just so you know, is when we put a lot of stores <laughs> together in a, a confined space and we'd hang out there unbelievably at the food court. And that was where, you know, me and my gals, we wore tube tops and it's horrifying. 
And you're, you don't think any of them have even a single photo, a group tube top photo? None that will ever see the light of day. I promise <laughs> you that. Okay. Those are good friends. Those are good friends. I did a lot of wide belts. Do you remember when wide belts, we were all wearing just big ass belts. Did they go in the, the belt like loops or did no, you go no, over the belt like loops? Over the, over the dress, in fact. So I would wear dresses and then just a big patent leather red belt around the waist. Isn't that still kind of a country thing? Like, I feel like country music stars mm. still do like the, the belt over the, the dress yes, situation. That's a good point. But I don't know where I got, I don't know where I got this from. I don't think it was country music inspired, but it was certainly in a part of my life. Photos do exist. And in fact, they're on the internet. So that's there, you know? Uh, see, that's what I get for being a hundred years old is that the internet didn't exist back when I was wearing tube tops. So... <laughs> Some pros and some cons to that. That is fantastic. What makes you laugh? My toddler makes me laugh and I'm sorry. Oh. I know that is so... Oh, no, I love that. So cringy, but it's true. Uh, she's just this funny little human who's gone from being a baby to being a full-on toddler during you know quarantine, during the craziness of yeah. 2020. And so now that my husband and I are home all day long, we actually have seen that evolution much more up close mm. than we might otherwise. And she'll just ask you know the funniest questions and have the funniest insights. And she'll hear a turn of phrase that adults use. Like, it occurred to me that and then oh she'll God. use it and, and she'll, <gasps> she'll say, it occurred to me that blocks are over there. You know, it oh occurred to me that Elmo. <laughs> so um, it's very funny. She's just very, very funny. And so that's what makes me laugh most these days and what has otherwise been a pretty dramatic year. Oh, that is so cute. <laughs> has she ever said anything that like really took you by surprise where you couldn't imagine where she learned how to talk like that or how to say that? She speaks a lot of Spanish because her oh. caretaker speaks to her in Spanish. Wonderful. And I was raised learning Spanish and have kept it up a very poor version of it over the years. My husband speaks no Spanish. So we have an interesting dynamic in our house now where, you know, people are always like, oh, two on one, you know, you've got two girls mm -hmm. and it's you. And I'm like, no, two on one because we speak Spanish about him and he doesn't know. So she's got excellent Spanish, much better than mine these days. I actually also grew up learning Spanish in school. I find that I have trouble practicing it because I don't have anybody to talk to. I'll get my toddler on the horn and, you know, you, please? you two can just chat it out about Elmo and whatever the latest is on Sesame Street. I would love to know. I have no idea what's going on in Sesame Street these days. I, I'm hopeful. Hopefully it's just good old. We're learning to read. I don't know. What do they do on Sesame Alexis, there's a whole new cast. There's all these people that wow. did not exist. I mean... You know, the good old standbys of Snuffleupagus and Cookie Monster and Ernie and Bert yeah. are still there, but they're the oh, sideshow. They're the oh, sideshow. This is a roller coaster ride of emotion for me. I am telling you, there's like a whole new cast. Sesame Street has really embraced, you know, child centered development, and they've introduced, I believe, a character that is uh, intended to show, you know, some, some outward signs of autism potentially, which is fantastic, I think, to, to have that representation. That's great. Yeah. But it's, it's come quite a long way. I believe we are now on episode, I'm not kidding, 48,900 and something because that show's been on even longer oh, than I've been around. Oh my God. But there's a lot happening on Sesame Street. Okay, now I know. That's where the action is. 
I mean, I'll add that right after Emily. Now that Emily in Paris is done, frankly, I'm on the I'm on the hunt for the next move. So maybe the next move is the street. <laughs> the street. That's how we call it. Yeah. You know, I assumed. I mean, I you know, I'm just trying to get in. Like I, when I talk to your toddler in Spanish, I don't want her to like think I'm lame. I want to be like, you want to turn on the street like that. She'll love it. She'll be right there. Right. Good. I don't interact with a lot of kids. I don't know if that's obvious or not. <laughs> I didn't either until two years ago. So let me tell you, it's a journey. Okay, that's good to know. Oh, I'm very excited to ask you this question, which is, do you know your Myers-Briggs type and do you care? I am an ENTJ. Okay, I'm an ENFJ. What's F? Feeling. You feel. Yeah, I don't have feelings. So, okay. okay. (laughs) I, you know, I think at some point in in my career, there was an offsite where, you know, we all kind of took the test and we figured out what we were. And then we were supposed to talk about how we interacted with each other. And I think everyone just took the ENTJ and was like, whoa, that's a lot right there. And I kept saying, (laughs) no, it's Colin Powell. Cause you know, they like show you what famous people have the same thing. I was like, I'm Colin Powell. This is great. That's lit. Who, come on. That's great. Do you remember anyone else other than Colin Powell that is also an ENTJ? No, that's my only go-to. Don't tell me it's someone terrible. No, I certainly don't know, but I was trying to think of who the ENFJ one is. And to be totally honest, the only one I remember is Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know who decided that Dumbledore was an ENFJ, but I read that and I was like, yes, we exactly. got Dumbledore. Exactly. Yeah. On that. I'm a proud ENFJ, but I would like to take it again just to be sure, because now I'm talking about this quite a bit. And I don't want to be wrong. Well, and you certainly want to know if it's changed, if you're now no longer associated with Dumbledore. Because that would be tragic. Right. Yes. So that that's all I know about mine. Colin yeah. Powell, I'm sticking to it. Colin Powell. And have you ever taken the Enneagram test? Is that the same thing as like Bananagram? <laughs> I love Bananagram. I love Bananagrams too. I love a good word game. Generally, I do a lot of crosswords. Same. Yeah. Because it feels like you're doing something good for yourself at the same time you're playing a game. I know, which is like, why can't I just play a game? Maybe a conversation for another podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Conversation for my therapist. You mentioned astrology earlier. And do you know your astrological sign? I'm embarrassed to say I do. It's an Aries. Okay. Why are you embarrassed because of the Aries connotations or because you're embarrassed that you know that? I'm embarrassed I know it. Really? Why? Why is that? Astrology is not really my jam. That being said, the gem of Aries, I think, is a diamond, which I like to remind my husband of a lot. Yeah, of course. And then he responds, but you don't believe in astrology, which (laughs) feels like an unfair counterargument. I agree. Uh, You know, I think it's really interesting star formations in the sky, and I like diamonds, but uh, I don't know that there's that much around being an Aries that I associate with personally. That's very interesting. Quick, I think that you should probably remind him about the Aries diamond thing right around Megan's day. I think that would be a good time to just toss that out there. Let's up-level some of those presents. Megan's day needs to evolve as you evolve. As you mentioned, we're not wrong. We're just evolving, learning new information. And I think the new information he needs to learn is that Megan's day is right around the corner and the gem of Aries is diamonds. I am here for this hype podcast. I really am. What is your sign? I am a Capricorn. I also don't know a lot about astrology. There are whole apps these days where you can get like a daily report out about what your astrology... I tried one. So I was like, yeah, I want to know what the sky says about my day, I guess. And I downloaded it and the notifications were too ominous. I had to get rid of it. It would be like, be mindful about what you say today. And I was like... (laughs) 
No one needs that kind of reminder popping up on your phone. <laughs> I know. Truly, it's like uh, way ahead of you, CoStar. I have this stuff on a running loop inside my brain. I don't need a push notification to give me more anxiety. That's so funny. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in it, but I get told a lot that I am uh, such a Capricorn which is, it's not a compliment. Yeah, no. Don't you love it when people put that in front of something? You're such a girl from Los Angeles. Yeah. (laughs) You are such a COO, which is my job. Or you're such a mom, which is my favorite one right now. Yeah, I'm sure. Are you actually from Los Angeles? I am originally from Los Angeles. Are you from LA, LA or like a surrounding area? Or I don't know that much about the geography. I'm from Pasadena, which is a town that Ooh. is about 30 miles outside of downtown LA, mm-hmm. but it's still considered LA, LA. A lot of my youth was spent around on the mean streets of Pasadena. <laughs> Pasadena is beautiful, if I uh, remember correctly. Do you have anything that you do that feels like very LA? I love driving. Really? And my husband does not like driving. So that worked out. Really? Oh, seriously. Beautiful. Forget finding your best friend. Find no, someone. Honestly, find someone who hates the things that you love. 100%. So I love to drive. I do attribute a lot of that to growing up in LA, spending a lot of time in my car. Um, I did fail the driver's test three times. However, pulled through in the end. I'm really impressed that you took it that many times. And also, just so you know, I also failed my driver's test the first time that I took it. See, I feel better. We came back. We recovered from peanut butter. We started strong with Emily in Paris. There was some distance on peanut butter, but I think now we're back at failing our driver's test. hundred percent. So that is one thing that uh, definitely I think is a classic of being from LA is, is enjoying good, some good car time. Absolutely. I ask that because the next question I wanted to ask you is, do you meditate? And I associate things like meditation very much with Southern California. You do now, but I would warrant that if you go back too many decades, you probably didn't. Like, Yeah, definitely not. Oh, for sure. No. <laughs> LA in the eighties, you know, was a, a town of excess and, mm-hmm. you know, we hadn't quite hit our Gwyneth Paltrow stride, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, no, I don't meditate. It's actually, you know, counter to my brand in a lot of ways. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about that. I am obviously an extrovert, as we've discussed. I'm a fast talker. I uh, am a multitasker, which I know is a terrible thing, unless mm-hmm. sometimes it's a good thing, but then usually people say it's a terrible thing. I find it very difficult to meditate. So mm-hmm. when I get asked if I meditate, you know, my go-to answer is no, I don't actually sit quietly and, and think, live with my thoughts and my breath. However, I'm a big runner. So I run every single day religiously. And I would argue that, that running is a form of meditation for me in that it allows me to get out of my head a bit in terms of my day-to-day thoughts about work and family and life and whatever's happening in the world. And also something where I focus inward on, you know, just how my body feels. Uh, Sure, it's a different kind of focus on a different part of my body, but it is a form of meditation for me. I totally feel that. I feel that way about writing. I write a lot. And when I write, it can be very meditative for all of those reasons. I will say that I tried to do more formal meditation in the early days of the pandemic. So circa Uh March, 2020, I was like, Hey, like there's a lot going on. And, um, so I I downloaded an app and I would get up really early before everyone in my Mm -hmm. house. I'd sit on the floor in the dark, put in my headphones and like, listen to, you know, it was a guy, it's always a guy, you know, like talking about breathing and so forth. And, all I could think about was just how much my body hurt sitting on the floor. 
Yeah. I actually found a lot of success with an app like that where I only had to do three minutes a day. I was like, I can do almost anything for three minutes. And that was how I got into it a little bit more. It's kind of like cooking. You can certainly follow a list of instructions. Uh, You can certainly sit there for three minutes. I really, I really don't like it. And it's just uh, through and through, it's unpleasant to me. I don't like chopping things. I don't like measuring them. You know, on cooking shows when everything is prepared in the bowl. Yes. And they're like, now add the tomatoes. (laughs) I'll do that. That sounds great. To be fair, that is the best type of cooking there is. Also, and then someone does all the dishes and all the cleanup. We're getting closer and closer to describing eating at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Just to clarify, (laughs) if someone could bring me the food, that would be nice. Like, I don't mind paying for it, but, you know, we're describing maybe going out to eat. (laughs) Or or like a nice buffet or salad bar. Yeah, truly. Um, I I love when people cook for me. Is that anything? Is that similar? Yeah. I mean, it basically sounds like you like eating, which is healthy. Oh, God, I love eating. I really do. Same. It is the best, though we might disagree on what, because what I didn't say is that with the granola that I have every day, I do have peanut butter. And to horrify you further, it is chunky peanut butter. (laughs) It's just revolting. It's also natural peanut butter. So it takes me like 45 minutes to evenly distribute the oil. You might, you actually might not know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) That is so funny because natural peanut butter settles on the bottom of the jar and then there's just like a viscous oil at the top. So you have to put like time into stirring it all together. (laughs) Listen to what you just (laughs) described. And like, tell me a sane person says, oh yeah, and that and sounds so great. Good. Let's throw that it's in so there. so good. It's really delightful. Megan, do you believe in ghosts? I don't believe in ghosts in the classic sense of mm-hmm. Casper uh, uh, and maybe whatever other ghosts people, you know, <laughs> have in their mind. But I can manufacture voices in my head of people who I've known who've mm-hmm. passed away which is to say that like my grandmother in particular had a very distinct Mm -hmm. voice. She had very distinct turns of phrases. And, you know, I can in any given moment think, oh yeah, this is, I can Mm -hmm. hear her. I can hear what she would say and how she's thinking of it. Gosh, this is going to make it sound like I need to be evaluated. No, no, that makes total (laughs) sense to me. That's beautiful. But that's probably the closest to believing in ghosts that I get personally. How about you? Do you believe in ghosts? I don't believe in like a, a flowing white nightgown style of ghost taking on the shape of a person and floating around my house at night. But I think what I feel, and I don't know, it's evolving, is the idea that like energy can kind of stick around. And I feel Mm -hmm. that strongly because in the realm of the living, I see energy stick around. You can walk into a room and without anything else, you know that something awkward is happening or you know that something really wonderful is you can feel that. And I'm like, if I can feel that, I must be able to feel other things or at least that other type of energy must be out there and around there. And so I think that like certain places where really tragic things have happened or where there have been a lot of loss, perhaps I maybe those places have more of that energy there. But the thing is, I get scared at night if I start thinking about this. So I don't believe in it until I lay down at night and close my eyes. And then I'm like, (gasps) ghosts. And then I am scared. (laughs) I think that explanation makes a lot of sense, though. To your point, like you can walk into a room and even feel if there just was a lot of people in it, right? And if like it had just been occupied and now it's empty, you kind of get that sense. Or you can walk into a room and be like, there hasn't been someone here in a while. Just there's a staleness or whatnot to it. So 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing by my don't yeah. believing, but I do think you're pulling on an interesting and thread there. And that has definitely evolved for me over time. And I think that, you know, we as people and where I typically see ghosts represented are in movies. So you could say like as creatives, as filmmakers, et cetera, you're sort of trying to name or represent something symbolically that you feel that you might not be able to name or, or discuss articulately. So the way that this has been described by someone else was sort of you're throwing a blanket over something to see its shape. And that is in a way yeah. maybe what ghosts are in popular culture and in the way we talk about them, which is we're just putting a blanket over something so that we can name it and talk about it. But it might be this sort of amorphous thing that we can't really describe. Makes if sense. See a ghost, though. Let me know, because that would be a real plot twist for for us both. <laughs> I was about to say. I think I'd be surprised I by that be too. Really yes, we'll do. I would be shocked. I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. if you saw what you thought was a ghost, you would think you were crazy, right? I would be pretty certain that I needed to be yeah. seen with yeah. someone. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, perhaps, we'll never know. This episode is still brought to you by Worklife, the first venture capital firm designed for a new era, where work is more creative and anyone can start something, where life is more flexible and not tied to an office, where everyone is a triple threat. Discover the latest design tools and new ways to launch your own empire, whether it's a podcast, course, or video game. Worklife has backed tools for you, yes, you, to build and finance your business. Worklife has backed companies like Webflow, Rive for real-time animation, and Q for real-time feedback on video, audio, images, and more. Sign up for the Worklife newsletter for interviews with creators and updates on new tools for your work life at worklife.vc. Megan, this has been truly the highlight of my day, and we are now coming up on the lightning round of questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm nervous, but yes, I'm ready. <laughs> you don't have to be nervous. <laughs> They're very easy. You're going okay. to know the answers. They're about you. Okay. Fabulous. All right. First question, coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take your coffee? Black. Me too. It's the fastest. It's the best. Do you have a big coffee preference? Strong coffee preference? No. Like my television shows, like I'm very basic in this department. Like throw me a Starbucks, Pete's. Wow. Uh, there is no like artisan, you know, milling happening in, in my uh, in my kitchen. I love that for you because it adds time and expense to my life that is becoming like a full percentage point of how I spend my time, I think, and money. Yeah. That is the <laughs> opposite of me. <laughs> Amazing. Um, iOS or Android? iOS. I used to be Android. However, I married a fanatical iOS. Mm -hmm. Well, he was a writer and personality and he got me switched over and I've been with it ever since. Although I have to be honest, it's not something I feel extremely passionately about. I'm just lazy. It's like, I understand how to use this now. Totally. Why learn something different? If he didn't feel that way, do you think you would have stuck with Android? I don't know. It was such a long time ago. I kind of like the whole dessert thing thing they've got going on in the spirit of cooking, but I'm probably iOS for life or at least for this marriage. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. That should be in someone's wedding vows. That's great. <laughs> have you ever read a book twice? And if so, which book? I have read uh, a book called Station Eleven more than twice, mm -hmm. a number of times. Um, it's my absolute favorite book. I would not read it now because it happens to take place uh, during a pandemic. Oh. And I have recommended it to people this year who then came back and were very grumpy about that recommendation. And it's great. It's this, you know, it's a work of fiction. Uh, it's by uh, a writer named Emily St. John Mandel. And it's just fun. It's not 
necessarily deep, although there's lots of dimension and texture mm-hmm. to it. And it's a really great book. So highly recommend. What made you pick it up for the second time? There were so many different plots happening within the book because it follows a whole cast of characters in very different locations mm-hmm. and in different stages of their life that end up, you know, like lots of good stories weaving together more mm-hmm. closely over over the duration of the book. But I just enjoyed reading it multiple times to focus in on different characters throughout the journey. Wow, that's really cool. Do you have a pump up song? That is really good question. So whenever I think about even that phrase, pump up song, mm-hmm. I think about basketball pre-games. Okay. I, I like I like going to basketball games. I grew up a Lakers fan and um, we'll watch it on television. I'm not really like, religious about it, yeah. but, you know, like sit at a bar, watch some basketball, sure. you know, something I would do. And they always play the song. And that song, like, it's catchy. I got to say, Alexis, like, if you're going to have a pump-up song uh, while running onto a basketball court in a stadium of 60,000 fans, um, that's a pretty good one. I couldn't agree more. I'm excited just hearing that one little... I'm like, yeah, let's do this podcast. (laughs) That's awesome. Maybe Um, that could be the podcast pump-up song. Oh, maybe. Oh, that would be great. I don't do a lot of sport, but I do agree (laughs) that it would get people freaking stoked to talk about life. Exactly. What would you title your memoir? So anyways. Oh, I love that. Oh my God. You should write a memoir just so you can use that title. Maybe I will. It's actually a catchphrase that my girlfriends and I use um, with each other in jest a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's often when we're talking about serious things or when, you know, when people who are annoying on the internet, you know, which people are prone to doing on the internet, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we'll just put something out there and then it's just like, so anyways, like it's the great cut. And I think about my life and the various phases it's had and the people that have come in and out of it. And I have always thought that the phrase, so anyways, uh, was perfect to capture that. Wow. That is beautiful because it signifies an ending, the transition and the beginning. Steep. That is great. So anyways, by Megan Quinn would be a fabulous book. I would definitely read it. Megan, thank you so much for being on the pod. Alexis, thank you so much for having me. This was such a treat. Dear listeners, if you enjoyed your experience listening to today's show, go ahead and throw a five-star review on iTunes. My preference is that your review includes some kind of corpse speak or tech lingo or something like that. And I'll read my favorite one on the next episode. If you would like to hear more from Megan Quinn, Megan, where can people find you? I talk about work uh, and maps <laughs> and my toddler and, and occasionally make fun of my husband on the internet, on Twitter, um, the the airport of the internet, so to speak. <laughs> and my handle is MS Quinn, which is not my initials, which people often think it's Ms. Quinn. Thank you very much. So MS Quinn. Love that. Ms. Quinn was the name of my sixth grade science teacher. It may have been me. <laughs> Maybe it was you. <laughs> Fantastic. You can also find uh, this show at Non Technical Pod on Twitter, or you can find me at Gay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram. Until we meet again, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Megan, thanks again. Thank you. Oh, yay. I have a review to read. This is from Matt F. Five stars. Matt says, 
Synergistic. Alexis does a great job of moving the needle on what tech people are talking about in a positive direction. The ROI on the episodes I've listened to so far was promising, and I'll be sure to circle back to it again in the future. Can recommend this podcast as a good remedy for the occasional mental segmentation fault. Thanks, Matt. And if you want to hear me read your review on the next episode, go ahead and leave me a review on iTunes. Give me a little tech lingo, a little corpse speak, and maybe you'll hear it on the pod. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you soon.